0: Good morning and welcome to another edition of 8 More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. This is Councilman Brandon Cohn. It is 8.30 on Tuesday, January the 15th. We have to get going this early in the morning in order to catch up with our guest today. Uh, I'm really pleased and uh, to be joined by my friend, uh, former colleague, Uh, Teresa Reno Weber. Teresa is a District 8 resident. She is the president and CEO of the Metro United Way. And before that, she had a couple of roles at Metro Government, which is where I met her when we were both parts of the Fisher administration. Teresa was the chief of performance and technology when she left Metro Government, much to everyone's chagrin. uh, And she came into the office as the chief of performance improvement uh, in 2012. Uh, so, Teresa Reno-Weber, good morning, and thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Yeah. Um, I think that, it's see, what, what year did you move to Louisville? Was it 2012?
1: No, 2010.
0: Okay. So, you've been in town for just about um, eight or nine years. Mm-hmm. You've been um, part of the public eye uh, in an increasing fashion since you sort of worked at a high-level position in government and now as the head of a big organization in um in uh, at the Metro United Way, but there still might be some listeners who don't know you or have only read your name in the newspaper or something sure, like that. So yeah. can you tell us just a little bit about uh, yourself and your family and sort of your life before you got to Louisville in 2010?
1: Sure. So I'm not from here. I was born and raised in Connecticut, a little suburb outside of Hartford called Newington. And I actually went to the United States Coast Guard Academy for my graduate or for my undergraduate degree. And so United States Coast Guard Academy is like Annapolis or West Point. You go for four years undergrad, and then you're commissioned as an officer in the U.S. Coast Guard. And so I spent six years as an officer, 10 years total in the Coast Guard, and was stationed all over the country in San Francisco, Miami, Florida, Washington, D.C., oh. doing tons of work that was really exciting, everything from search and rescue to drug ops to migrant interdictions, to migrant repatriation, back to Cuba and Haiti, uh, to even UN sanctions um, enforcement against Iraq and the Persian Gulf. Whoa. Really diverse. Loved everything that I did. Uh, my last assignment was actually in Washington, D.C., as a liaison to the House of Representatives, educating Congress members and their staff about what the Coast Guard needed in terms of appropriations and authorization. Very timely, given everything that's happening right now in our country and mm-hmm. that the fact that the Coast Guard is not getting paid at this moment with the government shutdown, but um, loved all of that, but knew I didn't want to make the Coast Guard a career, and so got out and went to grad school at the Kennedy School up at Harvard for my master's in public policy, thinking that someday I wanted to get onto the side of sort of shaping U.S. policy, mm-hmm. given that I was always out on the front line kind of enforcing it with the Coast Guard, things that I agreed with and things that I didn't always agree with. yeah, And met my husband. At the Kennedy School. We were both in the public policy program there. He is born and raised here in Louisville, and I think very early on in our relationship said, so have you ever thought of living in Louisville, Kentucky? And I sort of said, no, never really thought of Louisville, Kentucky. Nothing against it, but being a coast girl, right. um, had not really spent much time thinking about it, and um, we came here a couple times as we were dating. Uh, After graduate school, we went and lived in Washington, D.C. for a couple of years. I was a consultant for McKinsey & Company, this international consulting firm. And he was also consulting for a firm but really did not enjoy what he was doing and wanted to get back home. And so in 2010, we moved here so he could take a role as a nonprofit CEO. And as a consultant, I could really work from anywhere. And so I decided to make the move, obviously, with him, thinking that I would keep my consulting career going and travel all over the country and then we found out we were pregnant with twins
0: all right and so and so your husband <laughs> Ben Reno Weber is another friend of ours he hasn't been on the show yet but Ben would be great for it Ben, I guess be. I don't know if you mentioned it my name but he was working at the YMCA yep. um at that time and now you all have three children that's right uh, names and ages
1: yeah so Paul and Sophia are eight-year-old twins so we moved here in 2010 and very promptly had the twins right and Ava is five year old. Five years old. Um, Ava is at Highland Pres right now, and Paul and Sophia are at Hawthorne, and uh, we love it. It is obviously, as many of you hopefully know, the JCBS Spanish Immersion School. And we love Hawthorne. Yeah, it's great, and they love it, and they are reading Spanish and working on speaking it.
0: So you, ha- so you have a young family with three kids, and you decided that for a career you would just try to sort out the most complicated systems That's that right. exist in Jefferson County with uh, Louisville Metro government and then um, the network of 100-plus nonprofit agencies who are all sort of um, competing, cooperating, collaborating, sometimes are, sometimes not, to try to make our community work. So um, you just have really fascinating... Uh, really, we've had really fascinating jobs and really Mm -hmm. difficult jobs. And, um, I wanted you to be the first guest of the calendar year this year on the podcast, because I've just been obsessed lately with sort of, um, systems Mm -hmm. efficiency and just seeing all the duplication of efforts in the community and seeing places where we're not, um, really maximizing our resources And you know I've just been I've been watching Tidying Up with Marie Kondo on Netflix, and I <laughs> feel like just there's just it to ways t- <laughs> to, to 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 you know to make our our city work better because everybody knows that there's not a ton of influx of new resources, right. and we have continuing new um, costs, whether it's pension obligations or other mm-hmm. things that people will hear about this year and going forward. And I'm just convinced that all the real progress we're going to make for the foreseeable future is in efficiencies and strategic mm-hmm. partnerships and that kind of thing. So yeah. so I want to talk about that specifically with respect to the Metro United Way. But when you came into Metro government, yeah. you, were, you were the city's first chief of performance improvement. That's right. Tell me just a little bit about uh, what you did.
1: Yeah, so uh, it was a phenomenal role, and it was really at the, I think, moment within the country where... Uh, major foundations, uh, federal government, state governments, leaders across the country were recognizing that there's a lot of challenges at the federal and state level and the place to get things really moving and done that are going to change people's lives are at the city level. Mm -hmm. And so it was a perfect time for, I think, Mayor Fisher to come in and for him to recognize that there needed to be a role that was akin to what the private sector had been doing for a really long time which is it? looking at process improvement, lean, Six Sigma, effectiveness efficiency metrics. How do you measure success? How do you recognize where you're trying to get to and try to close the gap between that and where you are?
0: Mm -hmm. Sort of modern management practices.
1: Right. I mean, everything from Drucker, you know, all the way through. And he had done that very successfully, as you know, in his private sector and just thought if it can work there, it should definitely be able to work in government. And we met at a time when I was working with McKinsey and Company, and I was actually doing this for federal government clients all over the country, mm-hmm. going in and taking lean process improvement and trying to figure out how do we make the work more effective, efficient, streamlined, and really get to the heart of what we're trying to accomplish. And so it was a perfect fit for what he was trying to do. And in that first couple of years, I ended up being there for five years, but in the first couple, it was really about pulling all of the city departments together and figuring out what does success look like for them. Mm -hmm. And not imposed by myself or the mayor, but really asking the directors and the experts in those organizations to say, what does it mean to be the best public works department? What does it mean to be the best police department? What does it mean to be the best library? What does it mean to be the best corrections? Mm -hmm. I don't know your industry or your world, but if you were to compare yourself to anyone else out there, how would you know if you were the best? Mm -hmm. And pulling and teasing that out from folks and asking them to say, okay, now how would we measure that? Right? Not just a gut feeling or an anecdote, but what would be the data that would tell us unequivocally that we're actually there? Let's start to look at that. And then let's really be honest about where we are. And I think the mayor and the leadership was was wonderful to say, this isn't about assigning blame. It's about recognizing probably what many of our citizens already know. Mm -hmm. Not everything is working perfectly. Right. How do we start to address it and be really honest about it and look for ways that we can all work together? To yeah, and it? get better. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, it's basically, you know, performance improvement was basically about strategic planning and data driven decision making. That's right. And um, and the processes of always kind of trying to get better and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think, you know, when, when, Um, then-candidate Greg Fisher ran for office. He sort of got made fun of uh, by the press. for always talking about data. we mean, can't you answer a question without saying, well, I need more data to answer that question? But um, was he... I think that sort of that kind of data-driven decision-making, performance improvement in local government really sort of started with police departments, like in New York and Baltimore, that kind of stuff, and then eventually spilled over into all city departments and operations. And so yeah. I guess today in 2019, some eight or nine or six or seven or eight, nine years later, most uh, city departments, like you know, most departments in the city of Louisville, if not all of them, and I know you don't, you're don't, yeah. you not responsible for this anymore, have those kinds of practices in place.
1: For sure. So every city department has been become a part of the process which we've called Louis stat or Mm -hmm. global statistics and they come in and they're looking at their data and they're working to improve it and the office of performance improvement which was the office that I came in and stood up is still there today and it has broad-based support as you know across metro council across city government I think some people like it more than others because it is additional work and it is asking folks to do things that is not within their comfort level or Mm -hmm. their skill set and I love our folks in uniform, but they will be the first ones to tell you, you know, I didn't join the fire department or the police department to mess with data. Right. I joined it to save lives. I joined it to be a part of the community, to give back, to defend others. And so when we're trying to push the leadership in those organizations to help us get the data to understand, um, you know, well, the leadership is all there, some of their folks are saying, wait a minute, this wasn't what I signed up for. And yeah. so we have to continue to work with, with folks. And I think the city's done a great job of staying committed to that.
0: So if, if... if- listeners want a deeper dive on that. I just happened to listen to a podcast that Daro Mott, who is our friend and I think guess your successor as Chief of Performance Improvement. Um, He just did on a show called Gov Love, which is sort of a local government (laughs) nerds podcast. It's about a 40 minute uh, interview that Daro did and I listened to it in the car the other day and it was wonderful. So for people who are more interested in what the Office of Performance Improvement looks like, today I would recommend listening to that. Mm -hmm. And before I sort of uh, move on, I will note that one sort of quote-unquote department that has not um, been given the opportunity or taken the opportunity to be involved in this Mm -hmm. is the Metro Council. Mm -hmm. And so I know the Metro Council is not a department. We're not part of the executive branch. We're our own, obviously, co-equal branch of government, and we're self-autonomous. But, um, you know, we're still an organization, Mm -hmm. even even if we're more of a a federation of enterprises as opposed to sort of a top-down thing. Um, and I'm convinced that there is a lot of room for improvement if the Metro Council could just get itself together and institute these kinds of practices, which would be really hard because yeah. I mean this is really against the way that legislatures work and Congress is dealing with the same problem. And I know that they're doing a commission now to modernize government. Was there at, at any point w- when you were in charge it. or mm-hmm. when you were there, was there any talk of involving the Metro Council and seeing if there was a way to help us sort of modernize our business practices or make sure that our data was as transparent as can be, or that we were somehow continuously improving instead of just sort of running the same old tropes over and over again.
1: I wish I could say yes. You know, to be honest, I think those conversations that have only come into play since you've been in your role here and and Mm -hmm. been elected. I know we've had them since you joined Metro council and you've been really pushing to think about how could we use data information, organize ourselves a little bit better. So it wasn't, we were really focused on getting all of those 20 plus departments online and understanding. And then there was a focus on how do we make sure that we're bringing Metro Council along in understanding what we're doing and how we're doing it Yeah. so that you all would have the right data and information to be able to hopefully make better decisions about the discretionary funds that you have, about the overall budget that you approve, knowing where to really pull the thread on what's available and helping to look for those opportunities for departments to work more collaboratively i mean
0: i've noticed now and maybe in retrospect it makes sense that though without sort of building up our capacity mm-hmm. to to evaluate those things i mean there's are smart folks down there they can yeah. take a look at, at what different departments are doing and see whether they're doing their job or not but there's an um, sort of a structural imbalance there and i mm-hmm. think that if we can get the metro council uh bought in mm-hmm. and um and in, in included in things like Louis Stat and the strategic plan for the institution, all those kinds of things that we can really take um, the level of our government effectiveness to, to, to height. So I haven't awesome. been able to really get that going yet. <laughs> I wanted to to do that this year. Um, it remains to be seen. But but you see there's no there's no reason why that can't happen. I don't and think there's okay. any reason why no, not at all. Good. And, to, and in to...
1: fact I think, you know, Louisville as a city has continually proven to be extremely innovative in the government space. Yeah. We are on the radar and allotted and awarded many different things across um, the country yeah. for really leaning forward in this way and showing you know, bigger cities really how it can be done. And I think it's part because of just the size of our community, the relationships that are here. And so if any city can figure it out, how to really bridge the divide between the legislature side and the executive branch, and like a city or state government? I think we're it's in a local. good place. Yeah.
0: Well, so just briefly, your we like I said, your role, or you said maybe, your role as chief of performance improvement evolved and grew. Mm-hmm. You know, the mayor was the mayor's like, wow, this woman, Teresa Reno-Weber, can really handle a <laughs> lot of responsibility. Let's give her as much as possible. So when you left as the chief of performance and technology, you said that you oversaw human resources, which, you know, talent, as they yep, call it these right. days. Technology was obviously so vital to every enterprise, performance improvement. It seems to me like you were running... Um, you just know, the most important that. <laughs> so uh, you want to just touch briefly about that role and maybe, you know, what yeah. you did or how that evolved from what your performance improvement before we talk about metrics. Sure.
1: No, so I, I think it was a natural evolution in the fact that when we were getting into really the meat of how do we make these improvements across city government. And when we were in those Louis Lewistat conversations and understanding what was really holding departments back, so much of it was tied into people and technology. Right. Right? I mean, that's 70-plus percent of the budget is the people. And really trying to figure out, how do we make sure we put the right people in the right seats on the bus, as our friend Dara likes to say all the time, and that we're also giving them the right skills and capabilities to evolve in their job as the city's evolving, as technology's evolving, as we all need to evolve. And that had um, needed to be a focus. We just saw that consistently in all these conversations. And then, of course, the technology that, mm-hmm. while I think our IT team and our city um, does a phenomenal job, it's always a place where I think governments, nonprofits, and some you know for-profit organizations lag behind in terms of how do we stay current on the Latest technology making sure all of our things are updated that we don't have deferred maintenance on on things or that people aren't working with outdated systems. And so it felt like to be able to put all of that under one umbrella, you now had the people, processes and technology needed to really help government improve.
0: Um, and so, you know, so that's the viewpoint and the perspective and, and and the background that you brought to Metro United Way. And I guess you replaced Joe Toland, mm-hmm. who was a longtime president and CEO there. They did a search. Yep. They found the best person for the job, in my estimation. Well, thank you. And so you've been uh, on board there for two years Two years. Just now. hit my two-year anniversary. Hit, all right. Congratulations. Thank and you. I know you came right in and... 100th anniversary year. uh, The 100th anniversary year raised another 100, 100, 100, got to a billion dollars in total lifetime. But it was
1: really, yeah, cumulative over 100 years. So we came in and we recognized very quickly, the team brought it to me actually, that over the 99 years that Metro United Way had been in place in this community, we had raised and invested in the community just shy of a billion Mm dollars. We were just shy by 36 million. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, in 2016, the organization had raised 24.7. Mm -hmm. The last time we had even gotten close to 30 million was in 2007 before the recession. Mm -hmm. But we thought, what a phenomenal banner to put out there and just say, let's race to a billion dollars. Let's try to break through a billion dollars raised or committed for this organization in a hundred years. And we had a phenomenal campaign chair that Joe Tolan had kind of teed up for me, Mm -hmm. Matt Thornton, who had been a longtime donor, him and his wife, Fran, to the organization. And he was just crazy enough. To say yes to, to who, go. Who after wants that. to get to nine hundred ninety
0: six <laughs> million exactly. four hundred thousand? Yeah, yeah. Right.
1: and we we knew that it was going to be a stretch, and we we all I think committed that if we didn't hit it, we'd celebrate it whenever we crossed the milestone. Yeah. But we should push for to make the community aware of it. And it just so happened that everybody raised the the occasion, and, and we were able to cross that milestone in on January eighteenth of twenty eighteen. And hit, hit, yeah, we raised, I think at that day we were able to declare 36018500 and some dollars, Yeah. right? And so just squeaked over it, but it was a huge celebration and it was so wonderful for me to come in in the 100th anniversary year and really get smart on the history mm-hmm. of United Way and how it's uh, changed over its 100 years. We'll go there in a minute. Yeah. yeah, And and to be able to just see that, you know, we, one, need to celebrate this and communicate all the impact and the value, and get people excited about what the future could be, Mm -hmm. and also look for where are the areas where we can continue to push forward and evolve so that we can be what this community needs for another hundred years.
0: So you came into the Metro United Way. You had this sort of unique, weird, new fundraising challenge on top of your your regular job, what you were hired to do there. I mean, you're not you're not the development director. This just happened to be an extra added challenge, and opportunity that y'all took advantage of. So two years in now, do you feel, I assume that you also came into the new organization, like any leader, took a look at how things work and Mm -hmm. probably wanted to do some of the same things that you did for the departments and for metro government in terms of strategic planning and instituting data transparency. And I can see some of that on your website. It's, It's really plain that you've done that. Do you feel like you're in a place now where you've got you know, the ship built
1: mm-hmm. and
0: you're just trying to improve it continuously, but it's where you want it to be in terms of the infrastructure.
1: I'd say we're, we're in the implementation phase of all of that. Okay. So we, we came in in that hundredth year and, and just hit the ground running with a plan of how are we going to raise more money than we've ever raised? It ended up being 40% more than the year before. Right. Um, that was, like you said, a huge, strategic responsibility that I took on in partnership with our entire development team Mm -hmm. and with Matt and our campaign cabinet we always have volunteers that come in and work with us our board and just said we know we need to get that going at the same time in our hundredth year we were really hungry to set a strategic plan in place Mm -hmm. and so in parallel we were working on sort of a couple of other things right we said we need to raise the profile and raise the revenue for the organization, but we also need to engage our board in helping us develop a strategic plan for at least the next three years. That's really going to lay a strong foundation and groundwork to leapfrog us forward for the next 100, really, right? But like, yeah. what do we need to start to focus on? And so we worked together and developed that strategic plan. It had nine high-level strategies. In the first year, we went after three of them to really implement and try to get the groundwork going, and they were around um, raising revenue outside of the traditional workplace setting. Mm -hmm. If anybody knows anything about the United Way, it's historically been an employee-based workplace campaign Mm -hmm. that allows individuals to do payroll deduction. That was a huge market share for a very long time and, and brought in a lot of revenue to the United Way, not only here, but across the country, all the different United Ways that are out there. And we know that that model is shifting when you look Mm -hmm. at the consolidation of corporate America, when you look at the changes in headquarters and corporate C-suites that are here or not here anymore. We know that there are so many folks who work in this kind of gig economy where they're outside of a traditional workplace or they're changing jobs so frequently that we're never even asking people if they want to be involved in supporting the United Way. That was a big focus. Uh, focusing on our brand and value proposition. Mm -hmm. So many people tie us to the United Way of the past, to a community chest model, to their grandmother or grandfather's nonprofit or their parents' nonprofit, and that's just not sexy or exciting. And so how do we make sure it feels very modern, very relevant, very impactful today? And then the third big strategy that we've been working on over the last year and a half or so since the strategy was finalized is around data. Mm -hmm. And having the data we need to drive our decisions in the community, those being our investments, um, our impact strategy, our fundraising strategies, but sort of all the work that we're doing.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's clear to me that from just looking at the website, your organization is rounding into form. It looks Mm -hmm. like um, Teresa Reno Weber's Metro United Way, which I think is a very good thing for everybody. But um, so let's talk about the Metro United Way. Yeah. It's a confusing organization to me and I'm sure a lot of people don't really understand um, what it is. Um, and I know I could let you just sort of answer that and talk about the history and give a real real long answer. Um, but when I look at it and I see um, you know the variety of your own programming that you're providing now in different areas, Early childhood success, youth success, healthy living, financial independence—all these sort of broad areas that you sort of think of as well. Doesn't, doesn't government help people do all that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, you sort of present to me in some form and fashion as almost an alt government. No. you're providing. I mean, I'm serious. You're providing so that? many services, yeah. um, including some of the support of non nonpro- of other nonprofit mm-hmm. agencies that Metro government does. And so I, right. we've talked before about why are we both doing this and how, you know are we yeah. both doing this. For- Um, you're also a nonprofit yourself and you give grants, but you're not a, you're not a philanthropy. You're different than the community foundation or the James Graham Brown foundation. You're, I don't think you're sitting on a big endowment and you take applications and you give people money the way that people think of other charitable foundations. Um, so you're not a local government. You're not a charitable foundation. foundation. (laughs) You are a nonprofit uh, that provides programming, mm-hmm. but um, it, and you're not an association of nonprofits. Mm-hmm. You're sort of a, you're a, what are you, an, a, a, a accord, way. <laughs> a, you oversee <laughs> yeah. a bunch of, non- explain, right. explain so what I, you do exactly.
1: Well, so I, I think actually it's the analogy that I will share that has sort of had light bulbs go off for folks most consistently is that of an orchestra. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just a really powerful one when you talk about the role and the need for the United Way and what we've been doing uh, across the human service sector. And when you think of an orchestra, you think of all of the different individual musicians who are masters at their instrument who have worked very hard to know the ins and outs of that instrument to be able to play that um, on their own independently beautifully. Mm -hmm. But when they come together with other musicians in an orchestra, they're able to produce something so much more powerful, um, so much more complicated and complex than they could on their own. Mm -hmm. And at the front of an orchestra is always a conductor. Mm -hmm. And a conductor is the one that is looking across those musicians and lifting up the right musicians at the right time, helping them coordinate and play together in ways that are, again, very powerful, very complex, very beautiful. And just create something that they couldn't create on their own. Mm-hmm. And so I am starting to see more and more United Way as the conductor mm-hmm. for the human service sector work that we're trying to do in this community with partner organizations.
0: Let me just pause for a minute. Yeah. First of all, I mean, I assume you guys are gonna do some kind of great campaign with Teddy Abrams, the two of you on a poster. <laughs> we keep or trying this is, to I figure mean, out how to that, make that, that work. <laughs> that has to happen. And it's a great analogy. But the reason I sort of interrupt is because I wanna ask the question, well, is that your job or should local government be doing that? Mm-hmm. Or do, do we do that? Is is there somebody who works for Louisville Metro Government, the chief of something, the director of something, the the mayor, mm-hmm. whose job it should be in the public sector to be doing those things?
1: Well I think when you when you talk about public sector organizations Um, and the work that government is doing, they definitely need to partner with and rely on the nonprofits in our community that are really addressing, and and, and city government does do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's so much that government is already trying to wrap their arms around and that needs to coordinate that we have been for a long time, I think, strong partners with metro government in the work that we're doing, whether it's coordinating the out-of-school time system in terms of all of the youth programming that's in this community, trying to raise the bar on the quality of that, trying to make sure that we're having a shared metric that's available for how do we evaluate, how are we pulling data from JCPS to make sure the programs that we're investing in and that the city's hopefully investing in are the ones that aren't just feel-good programs, right. but that also Which ties I have to about. kids' social and emotional development that have proven outcomes in making sure that those kids, if they're in these out-of-school time programs, have higher attendance, lower suspensions, better academics. Because we have limited resources, we can't just invest in all of these, and, and I, I say invest in them from a standpoint of government dollars or philanthropic individual donor dollars. Mm-hmm. If you want to pay for your kids to be the best whatever in a out-of-school time program that's fully funded mm-hmm. by you know program dollars and investment from folks who are paying for those kids to go, great. But if you're getting city government dollars, if you're getting Metro United Way dollars, I hope that what we're doing is we're trying to align closer and closer to knowing that the things we're investing in are highest quality, getting the best outcomes and results towards the things we say we care about, education for kids, development of youth to be able to graduate college career ready, um, and that we have evidence to show that we're doing that. Right. And And so right now, that's sort of the work that we're doing in partnership with city government.
0: Okay, so in partnership is what you're saying, because I mean, you again, you intimately know the strategic inner workings, or at least are familiar with what they were a few years ago, and Mm -hmm. probably you know these are long-term plans, and you know from Metro United Way what you do, and so you see what you're doing and what local governments doing, but so there is local government is not doing what you are doing. Is that correct? I don't think so. I mean, it's certainly not duplicative. It's
1: not duplicative in my mind at all. I think there's parallels to what. Local government is trying to organize in spaces that we're not organizing. So whether mm-hmm. it's the work that Public Health Department is doing or that Community Services and Revitalization is trying to do in a housing space or in other places, those are akin to what we're trying to do in a human service sector. Right. I mean, complementary in my mind.
0: I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, I kind of wish the, again, just efficiency monster me, just wishes that the Metro United Way was in-housed and part of government <laughs> because- I just see the your approach to how you're doing this and I see it you know being so smart and working so well and then I see that metro government also does it the same way you know we do it through a process of external agency grants and sometimes through uh, vendor contracts and we give money here and there and left and right and I'm and I'm concerned about the level of accountability and the results that we're getting with all the different nonprofit uh, mm-hmm. Groups out there, some of which are some of the same ones that you all have right. certified and been through your training, that I think we can all agree are trustworthy and um, stable and and effective, yep. and then others that I'm not so sure about. So, you know, um, you know, short of just totally outsourcing all of that right. that we do to you or in-housing the Metro United Way, which isn't going to happen, how, how are you partnering now? Um, and how has that changed from the way it used to be before you were with Metro United Way yeah. or has it?
1: Well, I mean, I, I, we're continuing, especially as you said, because I just came out of city government. And so I know a lot of those inner workings and those, I have those relationships with individuals there. We're looking for ways to come closer and closer into alignment. Mm-hmm. I think it's really challenging from what I see in this community, despite those great relationships, despite that you know, knowledge, um, to change behavior and to change what folks have always done, or to do that even when they want to at a time when they're feeling so much pressure from so many other places to just get their own work done. And so as we're coming in and saying, we know that we've never really collaborated in this way, but it makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Folks will all say, yes, it does. It totally makes sense. But when they're under pressure, they do what they know. Right. And so that extra step of, let me bring United Way in to have this conversation. Let me have them sit at the table with us and think strategically about how we're evaluating all of this. Let's have a conversation, not only with United Way, but also with the other major foundations in our community that are investing in all of these same organizations and programs and get everybody on the same page with what, how do we define success mm-hmm. and how are we, start to, are we going to look at the, the metrics together? And understand who's investing where and making sure that the organizations we have have the resources they need to continue that great work Mm -hmm. I think the biggest frustration that I've had coming in is you know in city government you'll recall we were constantly trying to figure out what worked best right right I mean I always use it kind of tongue-in-cheek but we're still trying to figure out how do we update our roads without shutting down every road going into downtown yeah I mean we just haven't figured it out yet in, in the nonprofit space and coming into United Way and working with all the nonprofit partners that we do across those areas that you shared, what's been eye-opening to me is that we have answers. We have solutions. We have things that are working and actually making people's lives better and getting the outcomes that everybody wrings their hands and says, oh my gosh, how do we do X, Y, or Z? Like, the nonprofits in this community know how to do it. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to continue to do it on a bare bone budget and continue to get efficiencies and continue to drive the cost down. The best example for that in my mind is when we talk about early childhood, everyone's like, well, you know, why does it cost so much to provide early childhood and get kids ready for kindergarten? It shouldn't be nine thousand, seventeen thousand dollars a kid. I'm sorry. I spend nine thousand dollars a year on each of my privileged children who mm-hmm. come from a stable home with, you know, Harvard educated parents to get a quality preschool education. So they show up for school ready to learn mm-hmm. and they're still not, you know, off the charts top of their class. And so if I tend to tell you that a child who's living in concentrated poverty in a neighborhood in our community where maybe there's violence frequently going on in the community, they may not be getting a meal, you know, three meals a day. They may be sleeping on a floor I'm gonna to need to spend nine to seventeen thousand dollars a year on that kid to get them into kindergarten, ready to learn, on par with probably what I'm already spending on my own child. Mm-hmm. Why is that surprising? Yeah. And why are you then gonna say, well, that's great, but I need to do it for five thousand dollars a child? So should that's not possible.
0: So should you know? Is there any reason why all of Metro government's dollars that are currently appropriated to Nonprofit partners shouldn't all flow through you, and we just have one direct relationship with a sophisticated organization like yours that we trust to, um, you know, do all the hard work of of measuring the effectiveness of groups and coordinating, uh, and that way the the dollars flow through you all as opposed to us doling out. You know, a hundred different bits and pieces, and crumbs, and
1: yeah, well, pots know, of
0: money here and there.
1: I would say, and I would, ask
0: the same question to Kristen Boone, yeah, uh, who who, who runs the say, fund I mean, for we, the arts. We know and, the
1: human service sector space in early childhood, youth success, that financial independence, and then the healthy life space has always been more about food insecurity, housing, transportation, those things. Um, so in those areas. We have a pretty good depth of knowledge of the players in the space. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a great process that we've been evolving over 100 years of how do we measure effectiveness? How do we really help bring people into alignment? There's still more work that we can do. We're not perfect at it by Mm -hmm. any means. Um, We're continuing to look to improve it. Definitely, we don't do the arts. We don't do animals. We don't do environment, and right. so those don't are do other everything. areas where we don't do everything. And so we couldn't take it all and, and do all of it.
0: And you don't take out the garbage or put out fires exactly. or patrol the streets. So right. I mean, you're not a you're not a whole replacement for local government. But in terms I of the, government, in, I don't want to be government. Right. No, but I'm in terms of the in terms of the social services and the human services and that kind of a thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just sort of have to question. And there's a lot of people that say, you know, government should do take care of the basic stuff, pave the roads. Um, take out the garbage, that kind of stuff, you know. And it's this isn't a criticism of any of the people or the pr- dev- programs or departments that we have in Metro government. Yeah. Um, I just see you all. Being so excellent at what you do, and again, I think the fund for the arts has developed. You know, they're they're your doppelganger on the. That's right. I don't know, if you're if the left brain, really they're the right job. brain. If you're the right brain, you're the left brain. I get <laughs> confused which which one it is, but I would ask the same question to Kristen in terms of how all of our dollars flow to nonprofit partners that have to do with arts and cultural enrichment on right. that side. So, you know, I that's think it's
1: a great question to continue to evolve. I, you know, I don't have a. A clean answer for it because of the things that you know we don't do and that we would want to continue to evolve into. And and as you know, when mm-hmm. you have the dollars, you have the power, you have the relationships. You there's always challenges that come with that, and especially with letting that go. Yeah. And and I see that in so many places. Um, yeah. It just in this community, I think there there are challenges where we all say we want to be more collaborative, to be more coordinated. Um, but if that means taking a step back and being the collaborator, not the lead.
0: Right. Maybe your organization isn't the best at what you do and you'd be better if you merged into some other group or you that's closed right. up shop and went to go work at some other place. And so that's sort of what I'm, you know, I'm looking at all these systems that we have in the community and it seems like we all, like you just said, we all say we want to do that. And there are some people and some groups who are givers mm-hmm. and, 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 and there are some i don't want to call them takers because that's not that's not fair. But um, they're giving. I mean there there are occasionally there is the occasional taker but most of these groups exist for totally good purposes and try to do good work. But the duplicitousness of the system and all the different players and government and this and that it makes it really easy for people to exploit the system. Yeah. And and I don't mean that in a in a criminal way. I just mean it in a Rational self maximizer survival way. You know, if you understand how Metro government works, you can figure out, and you're a nonprofit, you can figure out how to get written into the mayor's budget. You can figure out how to then get an EAF grant. You can figure out how to get some Metro Council people to give you a neighborhood development grant. And all of a sudden, all these little monies add up here and there. And uh, we're not doing the um, kind of accountability work within Metro government. Uh, And certainly in terms of understanding how those organizations are working with yours and other funders, you know, to make sure that we're really squeezing every penny out for the the public good. Um, I think that's
1: right. And it's easy to do that. It's easy to have that happen when everything's fractured yeah, and and, and we're not all using the same information or willing to kind of use the same information. And I, I don't discount how hard that is, though, because... Really, difficult. folks, you know, this is their life. This is their livelihood. This is so many different pieces tied to it. Um, so, there there are really challenges in that. I do want to um, say, though, too, as you're talking about sort of the efficiencies and, and the money and how it flows to organizations, that um, it doesn't mean that the biggest organizations are the best at what they do. Um, it doesn't mean that there isn't room for new nonprofits that right. have a more grassroots, um, in the local community, more authentic relationships sometimes with the individuals that they're trying to serve are not valuable. And, and we've got some great data that we're starting to see that actually some of those smaller faith-based grassroots organizations are getting the best outcomes Yeah, when it comes to really moving the needle and changing the trajectory of a child's life or in helping individuals get financially stable and so it's it's complex that's why you need the data because it, your gut is not always right
0: and again those new startups the ones that are entrenched they're the ones who know how to sort of game the system better than anybody so i just point this out as point this out as an area for you know, really, everybody to take a good, hard look. Mm-hmm. No matter what your role is in this ecosystem, yeah. if you're government or if you're the Metro United Way, partner uh, Metro United Way partner, yeah. or grantee, or, or or private business, uh, really trying to squeeze the most out of what we've got because I think that that's all we're going to get. Can for a I long share
1: now. one thing before we wrap? Yeah, and before we wrap.
0: I, yeah, before we wrap, I really want to talk about the United. Yes, okay, good. That's okay, what I wanted so, to
1: share.
0: So um, you came and presented to the Metro Council Committee of the Whole. That's, the, that's just when we sit together and talk uh, before our Metro Council meetings. Uh, a few weeks ago about a new program you have called United Community or Building a United Community. And it has to do—I'll let you talk about it, but basically I understood it as a um, a shared platform or portal or marketplace where people who need social services, whether it's housing or food stamps or health care or any of that kind of stuff— um, They can plug into one provider here in in the system, and this enables providers to work with each other um, and share information about a client because, you know, if you come and you need help paying your electric bill, chances are you probably need some other help too. That's right. So this is a new platformer system that's really going to try to let all these groups collaborate together to better serve and track the individual. It almost seems like sort of blockchainy to me yeah. or something. I don't really understand that either, but yeah. So yeah, please do take a little time to right. talk about um, this program because I think ready. it's really exciting and I think it's sort of the next level of of. You know what, what you've been doing at the Metro United Way yeah. what we're trying to do.
1: Well, and it really feels very much to me like a continuation of, of conversations that I started in work. I started when I was at city government. Mm-hmm. And so one, I will say that this is an effort that United Way is kind of playing a backbone support to, but it's a community effort. And so we've got multiple co-chairs and champions who are taking this effort to the community. So it is not just a United Way initiative by any way. And really it is, as you said, the base of it is, is investing in a technology platform that would allow any organization to be able to share information about individuals to organizations that they may need to refer those folks to for support, right? And
0: like in a way that's with the individuals' consent and protects other right. confidential data. All of the HIPAA data. and yeah, FERPA right. for
1: all of those yes. legal folks out there right. that, you know, we always throw up as flags for why we can't do something. Right. Um, for. Six-plus years now, we've been talking as a community in different roundtables about how do we get over those hurdles? How do we start to share information? And it started back um, with uh, the Criminal Justice Commission, with University of Louisville Hospital, with the Healing Place, with Metro Corrections, around individuals who had mental health and substance abuse. Mm -hmm. And they were the familiar faces that keep rotating through all of these different institutions And costing the community millions of dollars Mm -hmm. because they're never getting the individual to the right place and the right help at the right time. And so they just keep rotating. And so for a number of years, we had those lawyers sitting in rooms together talking about how do we get a joint release? How do we share that data? And it became, well, that's great. We can get there, but how do we actually then make that information flow? Mm -hmm. And if you think of Social workers and caseworkers, I mean, they are constantly trying to connect individuals to multiple different services and resources. And the best social workers out there have kind of it all cataloged in their head, right? I know who to call at this organization in government, their direct line. And when I call them, they're going to answer and they're going to help this person. If I don't get them, I might have to wait a week and try to call back. And so there's so much inefficiency and just, you know, analog process (laughs) or manual process in this. That a technology platform that helps make those linkages and those connections in a way that shares information across not only organizations, but sectors. Mm -hmm. So think of the healthcare sector, as you said. We've got so many folks who are being discharged from the hospitals who the discharging nurses know that if they don't get them connected to some sort of transportation that's going to allow them to go and fill a prescription they're likely going to be readmitted back in the hospital within 30 days. Mm-hmm. They know that if they send them home and they're potentially an elderly person and they're isolated and they're not going to have anybody who's going to check in on them, that then they're going to you know, fall back into whatever the health um, challenges that they had. So they're trying right now to connect individuals. And most of our hospitals and most of our nurses are again either creating their own binders or books maybe they're calling 211 which we hope they are right but um it's it's not in a way 211
0: sort of the uh, social services hotline that's that right. Metro United Way
1: Funds, runs
0: and operates with Center, Center for, for Women and, and Families that's yeah. right
1: so 24/7 365 days a year you can Dial the number two one one and talk to an individual who will give you a connection to any service you need in the community. Okay. But it is just a resource directory. Yep. So right now they don't make that warm referral. Right. And so so many times if someone came into say a food pantry or a food bank or one of our nonprofits that they were struggling with food, um, or said actually I need housing. Right. So maybe they're at the wrong place, but they're somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, most of the time now, those organizations would maybe connect them to 2 on one Maybe they know of a shelter. They might send them over and say, go here. Without any qualified understanding of whether or not that person can be helped when they get there, do they qualify for the services of that nonprofit? Right, Does that right, nonprofit right. have space? Right, because
0: there's no case file on the right. person. Yeah, and
1: when they show up, do, do, they don't know anything about them. And so what this system will allow is for an individual to put information in and push a referral out to another organization in the network that will be able to get it as a ping and say, I'm going to accept this because I've got the bandwidth, the capacity, they're qualified for my services, and I'm going to take some information about how to contact this person, and I'm going to now proactively reach out. Mm-hmm. So now you're having individuals get that warm handoff to an organization that's qualified to help with one of their interconnected needs.
0: Yeah, and is this is this, is this this live?
1: It's not yet live. Okay. Um, so we spent the better part of last year building the table from all these different groups that have been talking about a system like this. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about the mental health substance abuse. We've talked about city government. We know that the school system has been trying to figure out how do we connect kids who are falling off track Mm -hmm. to all these types of resources. And so we brought all those folks together. We fundraised for it collectively over the last year. We signed the contract with the vendor who we identified after a long due diligence, who's been in 40 other communities who's set this yep. up, who knows how to make this work, who knows how to get through all those legal hurdles, share that data in a way that's consent-based. And we will start at the end of this month.
0: And then how long is sort of the, you're going to do it for three years and see if it works? What sort of this? The,
1: that was the initial budget, Three, year, Matt, three years, was, was three years, okay. exactly. Okay. Um, so we know that it's going to take probably the first quarter of this year to get everybody organized and get the system up and running. And then it'll be a soft launch this spring. You'll see, hopefully, a big press conference about it. I have to give a huge shout out to lg e who's a signature sponsor with a major investment in this as well as Passport Health Plan, Kindred, Norton's exploring it right now. Um, we're going to be meeting hopefully with school board members to have JCPS and we've obviously talked to Metro Council and the mayor's office about having broad-based support for this.
0: And we got to wrap up. Do you, do you have any idea how many unique clients there are just in Jefferson County that would oh. that would plug into this? I mean, is there, you know, there's 800,000 people that live in our county. Yeah. Is there fully 200,000 that are clients that that need some help in one form or fashion of the other that you expect to sort of work their way into the system? Is it higher than that? Is it lower than that?
1: You know, I I, I think this system is going to give us so much good information and insight into just how many people are unique individuals that we're all helping mm-hmm. in our community. We know that at 2-1-1, we get hundreds of thousands of people who call yeah. every year trying to connect. We don't know if those are the same people calling yeah. over and over again or not. This system is going to give us that insight.
0: But there are a lot of people in this community that need help, and that's, that's what you're working on doing. That's right. Well, um, we have to let you go. The Metro United Way uh, does depend on funding from community right. partners. So, if you want to take two seconds to let people know how they can support your work, yeah. what website to go to. Thank you. And then we'll let you go to work. And I know you've got a busy day. Yeah,
1: that's right. Metro United Way, 100% donor funded. Um, we don't receive sort of federal dollars, um, although we're working to change that and get grants and things. But um, all of this work is supported by individuals and foundations um, who make it possible. And so, go to metrounitedway.org. Okay. Um, that is our website website. website. There is a big donate button at the top of it. We would love individuals to get on there, help support this work, not only through financial contributions, but obviously we're always looking for advocates who can help push the narrative forward and individuals who want to volunteer. We're really excited about all the work that's coming in the future. So thank you.
0: Well, I feel really confident that uh, the Metro United Way is in your hands, and uh, we'll try to do everything we can do to support you. And I hope thanks. we see Teresa Rena weber back in Washington, D.C. <laughs> one day. But, uh, you know, who knows what, what, what lies ahead.
1: Thank so, you so much, Brandon. Thanks
0: for being on the show. Thanks for listening to 8 More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. I'm Councilman Brandon Cohn. Please stay in touch with our office. Visit our website at www.tinyurl.com slash d 8 And once you're there, please subscribe and stay informed to receive our bi-weekly e-newsletter.